Welcome to the Enlightening Motherhood Podcast. Here you will find a non-judgmental community offering support to mothers raising children with extra challenges. This community was created for you to empower moms who love their children deeply, but are also feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, or just plain stressed out. We are the place for moms who are sometimes feeling at the end of their rope and are looking for hope and light. Join us as we help you enlighten motherhood. Hey everyone, it's Emily. I am so excited for our episode today. We're going to talk about some of the root causes of misbehaviors and how figuring this out provides effective ways for us to be able to address them. I'm also going to tell you about a freebie that I'm in the process of creating and how you can be the first to get it by signing up on my email list. But before we get into that, I'm also excited because we got multiple new reviews this week, which I always appreciate. So I wanted to go ahead and read one as a shout out and a thank you for, you know, leaving us that review. This one is by Di Yardley. And she says, I love how Emily and Ashley weave their experiences from home into actionable takeaways. Every time I listen to an episode, I feel like I need a notebook in hand to write all the golden nuggets down. They are warm and inviting, and you can't help but feel motivated to make changes and become better. Truly enlightening. Thank you for such a warming um, review. I am so glad that you find us to be warm and inviting because that is exactly the way we try to be. We care deeply about other people. We're very compassionate and I am so glad that that is coming across in our podcast. If you haven't yet left us a review, please, it just takes a few minutes. If you have Apple Podcasts, just go to our show screen, scroll down, you'll see the five stars, tap the five stars, click write a review, leave a few comments. It means so much to us and it helps our show get a really nice publicity boost so that the word can get out to even more mothers. Okay, let's dive in. Let's chat a little bit about our children's behaviors. Okay, so most of us are probably familiar with parenting advice that attempts to control a child's behavior. The basic idea is that you reward the desirable behaviors which we often label as good, and then punish the bad behaviors, which we might label as bad or misbehaviors. But sometimes there's a problem. What if this just doesn't work? What if it seems like with certain children and or in certain situations that that traditional way of addressing behaviors can even make it worse? Okay, so for example, Um, we're just going to take a school example that is shared in this book that I'm going to delve into a bit today. The book is called Beyond Behaviors by Dr. Mona Delahook. Okay, I'm retelling this example. It might be a little bit off, but the example is a classroom aide um, has a child that has some acting out, and the aide is sitting in the back of the classroom with the child, and the child starts trying to kind of make facial gestures or actions to try to get the aide's attention. And the aide thinks, well, I don't want to encourage this, so I'm just going to look away. So then the child starts trying to act out even more. And the aide turns her body away. And she thinks, I'm not going to reinforce this negative behavior. So then the child 
taps the aide on the shoulder. So the aide scoots the chair away. And when the child sees that there's no way he can get the aide to connect with him, the child explodes. Okay, what just happened there? Let's talk about this. Okay, so I'm sharing with you a lot of takeaways that I have. I just listened to the book Beyond Behaviors um, with Dr. Delahook, as I said, and some of the ideas I present are mine, but many of these are ideas that she presents in her book. This is no, in no way could I give you all of the ideas. It was a superb read, but I just wanted to give you some of my takeaways. Um, so she recommends that instead of ignoring a challenging behavior, it's actually better to do the opposite. Pay close attention to the child and ask, what is the child trying to tell me through the behavior? And we'll come back to this example with the aid and the child acting out at the end. And I know that I don't really have classroom aids in here, but I think that you can totally apply this to mothering and a lot of the behaviors that you see that your children have that you kind of want to work on. I think a lot of these same principles will apply. Okay, so Dr. Delahook says, when you're meeting any sort of misbehavior, stop and think, is this behavior top down or body up? So in other words, is this behavior a result of some sort of logical, you know, upstairs brain thought we sometimes call, or that would be the prefrontal cortex. So is it the child in complete control and they're making this logical choice with their upstairs brain to do that behavior? Or has the upstairs brain been hijacked by the survival brain or the downstairs brain, the amygdala? In many cases, especially when we're dealing with children with really intense emotions, um, it is often that the upstairs brain has been hijacked. And so when you start to use logic and treat a downstairs behavior or a body up behavior with top down logic, it often doesn't work. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit more. All of us have something called neuroception. And this is really amazing. So babies are born with their survival brain. They're not born with that logical part of the brain completely developed. That continues to develop until most of us are like in our mid-20s. And there's definitely lagging if your child has some sort of neurodiversity, like I do and like several of my children do. Okay, but um, we all have that survival part of our brain that's usually developed very well. And we have this thing called neuroception. Neuroception is kind of this subconscious but constant scanning of the environment to make sure that it's safe. Okay, so this explains why a young baby might cry until they're held by mom. They sense some sort of threat in their environment. They know they're going to be safe with mom, so they're showing distress until they can get to be with mom. Okay, we might also see this when a child, an older child, or like, older than a baby, but maybe still a young-ish child, is playing fine. Actually, this could be an older child too. But anyways, so we might see this when a child is playing fine until something unexpected happens. Maybe their sibling's car, their toy car crashes into their toy car. They weren't expecting it. And suddenly they're red-faced and they're screaming. 
when we misunderstand the cause of the behavior, we will probably address it inefficiently. That child that's screaming because the car hit theirs, if we think, oh, this child was choosing to start to scream, he was choosing to have that meltdown, we're going to address it in a way that you made a bad choice, let's punish you or let's give you this negative consequence for it, as opposed to realizing that they probably didn't mean to do that. They probably didn't want to do it. And what they need more than a reaction to not enforce that negative behavior is help to deal with that situation and compassion and skills to be able to build up more ability to deal with behaviors like that in the future. Okay. Dr. Delahook did say that when we're looking at behaviors, parents are the most important tools in the toolbox. And I totally agree. She also includes a lot, like anyone supporting your child is an important tool in the toolbox. It could be their, an aide at school, their teacher, just anybody that's helping to support them. So some tools that she recommends, you can track your child's behavior and look for connections and clues. This is a great way to start. I'm also, um, I hope I'm not saying this prematurely, but I'm working right now on a free roadmap and a mini training that should be available soon. It'll be available on my website at enlighteningmotherhood.com. By the time this airs, it might even be available by then. I'm working on it right now to simplify the decoding process of why is my child nodding down? What's going on? I have six probable areas and examples to make it much easier to figure out. And I'm going to create a really short video to explain the roadmap so you can get on track to figuring that out. Okay. Dr. Delahook told, and I'm very on board with this, she recommends that you investigate your child's sensory preferences. So if you go back to episode seven, I talked about this as one of the things that helped me decrease my yelling a lot. We all have different sensory tolerances um, with sight, uh, smell, taste, hearing, touch, and touch can be broken into several different um, areas, taste. We all have different preferences. And not only that, we have tolerances and we have different ways that senses can soothe soothe us. So I loved this tip that she gave. What size cup does your child currently have for blank? So I'm going to say, for example, the sense of sound. What size cup does your child currently have for sound? Me, personally, I have a very small sound cup. I get overstimulated fast when there's too much chaotic noise going on. What size cup does your child currently have for touch? And there's a few different kinds of touch. So we'll just say kind of like the touch in terms of the sense of their skin being touched. I have a child with a huge touch cup. He loves me to hug him. He loves me to hold him. He wants me to rub his back, his arms, his legs, his hair. He wants me to kiss him. He wants me to to hold his hand and rub his little fingers. He loves, loves lots of touch. Okay, so once you figure out what size cup that they currently have for that sense, then you want to find three types of that kind of sense that soothes your child. 
For example, three types of sound that soothe your child. You might have classical music or nature sounds or white noise, popular, popular music, human voices, etc. I have for me, I have a playlist of songs that help to soothe me or to motivate me. My husband also bought me, I like just the absence of sound, so I have some noise canceling headphones that I wear um, for my child with touch. Some, I know three kinds of touch that he loves. He loves me to hug him. He loves a back rub. He loves a head rub. And so not only are we considering when they might be overstimulated with that sense, but we can also consider how we can soothe them. Because when they have that meltdown, right, their upstairs brain is hijacked by their downstairs brain. And what they need the most is just help to get control over their brain again. And so soothing them through their preferred senses is a great way to do that. Communicating to them with your body, with your facial expressions, with your emotions, that everything is safe. That will help them a lot to be able to regain control. Okay, so step number one, you need to help your child co-regulate. This is where, just like it's instinctual for a baby, when a baby's crying and we want to pick them up and we want to comfort them and help them, just because your child is no longer a baby doesn't mean that they don't need you to help them co-regulate. In many cases, they still do. So if they're, if they're like freaking out, they flip their lid, they're melting down, whatever it is, maybe they've imploded and they're under the table and they're hiding and they're whimpering, they need you to communicate to them somehow that everything is safe. And this is much more than words. This can be done through your intonation. This can be done through your facial gestures, your body language. This can be done, like we said, with sensory. Um, smell is a great one. Smell can often pierce through um, the layers of panic. If there's a smell that you know that they love, if it's lavender or um, a certain lotion, whatever it is, um, just being aware of their preferences beforehand so then when it does happen, you can help them with it. Great ways to help them calm down. Okay. And when they are calm, Dr. Delahook recommends that you teach their body to learn to self-regulate. Okay, so this is, I would say this is something that you do when they're not freaking out, <laughs> right? When they're not in the moment of their upstairs brain being hijacked that you want to practice with them and teach them to recognize when their body is sending signals of distress or feeling upset and then help them learn what they can do at that time. Do just one thing to do better. Maybe it's a breathing exercise. Maybe it's, um, I love to with my preschoolers, we say, take a deep breath. Now find your favorite color. And they look around the room and find their favorite color. And if they're still freaking out, we do it again. Take a deep breath. Find it again. And that really helps them. That's something we practice when they're calm. So when they're having a really high emotion moment, they can try to regain a bit of control. Okay. So when they are calm, practice with them some ways that they can self-regulate. That way when they are in that moment, they're more easily accessible to them. Okay, so when your child is calm, um, you can teach them this tactic of something they can do after an episode of Big Emotions. Number one, what happened? Number two, 
How did I feel? Number three, what can I do next time this happens? So this is the idea I say a lot. We don't want to be judges and we don't want to teach our kids to be judges. We don't need to say that they were bad for having that emotional reaction. We can just recognize that it happened and then be a detective like, okay, hmm, that's interesting. What happened? How did I feel? And what can I do next time that happens? We're going to throw aside any sort of judgment. We don't need that here. It's not going to help. Let's just try to work on this problem instead of deciding who's to blame, right? Okay, when you consider a child's behavior that you are trying to change, Dr. Dalek said this, and it was so interesting. Should we automatically target this behavior for change? Or first, should we reflect on its meaning and value to the child? And this is really applicable for those kinds of behaviors that are not necessarily harming others, right? We might call them quirky behaviors or um, some things that you might not like that your child does, but really they might be fine. Um, Dr. Delahook gives the example of a child with autism that kept snapping in the classroom and they for years were trying to work with this child to stop snapping in the classroom and and they would try to reward when he wasn't snapping and they'd punish when he was and all it did was make the snapping worse and then finally they figured out that the child used to snap when they felt when the child felt anxious because the snapping was a way for him to let out his anxiety and so by just taking away that snapping without even understanding why he was doing it made his anxiety worse and it made him want to snap more, right? And so it was just this spiral. But once they figured out why he was snapping, what was the motivation behind that behavior? Suddenly they were like, oh, you need an outlet for your anxiety. And I can't remember exactly what they did with that child. I think they taught him, how about you try rubbing your hands together or pressing them firmly together to release your anxiety instead. They, they came up with a new behavior that wasn't disruptive to the classroom but that still helped him with that. And I feel like that's the same with our children. When we understand why they're acting this way, and especially for me with working with children that have some really intense emotions and some very big feelings, um, understanding why they are melting down, what went on that triggered that meltdown, that helps me a lot to then be able to understand my child meet them with more compassion and less judgment. And also it helps me be able to then get to the root of it and start to come up ways with ways to help them, to help me co-regulate with them and then to help teach them how to self-regulate on their own. And so again, if, if you're not on my email list, you'll definitely want to hop on it because that's where I'll be sharing that freebie when I create it or you can just keep an eye on my website for when it does go on there it's not on there yet so head on over to enlighteningmotherhood.com and let me check this really quick click on at the top of the page click on contact and there or just scroll down to the the main page and sign up for my email list and I'll make sure that whenever I finish that mini training in that cheat sheet with the roadmap to why is my child melting down, I'll get that out to you. It's an amazing tool that can help you get to the root of that. And I'm, I'm making it totally free because I really just want to help as many people as I can to help their children. It's, it is so liberating when you can start to finally figure 
why your child is going through that. Okay, so going back to the beginning, instead of ignoring a challenging behavior, it's better to do the opposite. Play close, pay close attention to the child and ask, what is the child trying to tell me through the behavior? So let's go back to that classroom made with the child. And the more that that child tried to get the aide's attention, and the more that the aide ignored them, that child, the worse that the behavior became until eventually the child just exploded. So this is what was probably going on. That child was trying to say to the aide, hey, I'm feeling a bit insecure right now, and I'm needing some connection of someone that I trust to tell me that everything's okay. Can you connect with me right now? I need some connection. Can you help me know that it's okay? And when the aide was refusing to look at the child, that then with that neuroception, right, that constant surveying to see if everything's safe, it told the child, hey, it's not safe right now. And the child was trying to reach out more. Like, when you think of it from this perspective, we need to give a lot of credit to that child for holding it together and for continuing to try. Hey, hey, um, aid, I trust you. I need some connection right now from someone that I trust. Can you please give me some connection to tell me everything's okay? And when the aid doesn't, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to touch you. Please just give me a little bit of connection. The aid totally goes away. The child goes, oh my goodness this is time to go into survival mode because something is wrong. I can't get the connection I need. My current abilities, my current understanding, my current senses are telling me that there is danger and it is time to let my lower brain take over. Kaboom, right? So in this particular instance, when they realized that that was what was going on with this child, when he would start to try to get the aide's attention during class, instead of ignoring him, she paid attention to him in a way that didn't disturb the class. She connected with him. She got close to him. She gave him eye contact. She gave him a nice smile. Instead of ignoring, she connected. And that helped. That made all the difference. The child got the connection that they were seeking, the reassurance that everything was okay. The child was able to emote. Then the aide was helping that child co-regulate. And now that the child was in control of their brain. They had that upper brain, that logic, the prefrontal cortex working now. The aide could then help, and the whole support system of this child, help them then learn the skills that they needed to be able to learn to self-regulate a little bit more. So anyways, Dr. Delahook said, what makes the difference is the lens through which we view the behaviors. So whenever your child has a behavior that you don't like, it might be, of course, I tend to um, focus a lot on the really big, emo the behaviors that are associated with really intense emotions, right? But whenever your child has any behavior that you don't like, stop and think, okay, is this top down or is this bottom up? Like what kind of behavior is this? Is it premeditated? Or is it just being hijacked by that lower brain? And then try to think of the why. Why is this behavior there? Is it something that I need to change? If I do need to change it, let's find the reason that it's there. And I think that when we can get to the root of that behavior, that that is going to make 
such a difference. And this is something that I know has made a huge difference for me in the way that I parent my children. It's made a huge difference in how I show up and in my ability to help them. So I highly encourage that you get to the root of your children's behaviors before you just start to work on them. It makes a big difference. Okay, so obviously there's far too much in this book to fit into one podcast episode, but I would totally recommend the book, and I hope sometime to get Dr. Delahook onto our podcast because I absolutely love just about everything that she says. And for me, that's pretty rare. If I'm if I agree with like seventy percent of a book, that's that's enough for me to be like, hey, this is a good book, and recommend it to people. If you don't have the time for it, don't worry. I'm definitely using what I've learned and putting it into practice for future episodes. <laughs> so, anyways. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you found this helpful and I hope that you have a beautiful week.